Hello, hi everyone. So welcome to episode 42 of Tetarik with Walid. I'm extremely delighted to have the legendary one and only Professor Tomiko, who himself is having Tetarik with yeah. me today. <laughs> and Professor Ko really needs no introduction, right? So it's, it's almost an insult to do an introduction for him. That would take uh, half an hour already. <laughs> so uh, we are here really, I'm, I'm really delighted. I am in his hood. We are at MFA. And I am delighted to be interviewing him about his latest book that was uh, latest book that was launched yesterday. Yeah. Small states in a big world. Size is not destiny. And as someone with his uh, repertoire, CV, expertise, I think he's the right person to be talking about this ambassador to the UN. And his uh, the list so goes on. His ambassador at large today. And the first question I really wanted to ask is about that, about that title itself, and about size being destiny, right? So, Prof. You mentioned that, and you gave a long list of reasons why size is not destiny. Uh, but when for ordinary people who look at the international system, and they do see that the large powers do get away with far more, right? So Russia, you, you had an, an essay about Russia and Ukraine, but Russia is not the only one, America and Iraq in 2003, and China and its various uh, maneuvering, and so on. So is it really true that size is not destiny? You should look at the big picture, no? Don't just look at the political military side. You look at the big picture. Once upon a time, before the Forum of Small State was formed, I would say that uh, the world treats small countries as second-class citizens. They are not given a seat at the top table. Their view is often not solicited. And it was very difficult for a small country to get elected to important UN bodies. I think with the formation of the Forum of Small States, which now has 108 members, and we constitute a majority at the UN, this has amplified our voice. It's given us a possibility of getting good candidates from small countries to get elected to important UN bodies. And You'll be surprised to know, Walid, that of the 10 richest countries in the world measured by per capita income, eight are small countries. Mm. You'll be surprised to know that of the 10 most competitive economies in the world, the majority are small countries. You'll be surprised to know that the countries with the highest gender equality are small countries. The countries with the least, which, which are least corrupt, majority of small countries. Countries with the most competitive economy, small countries. So, so in so many other ways, small countries have uh, punched above their weight, you know, and have shown the world that we may be small, but we can be very successful. We can provide our own people with a very high standard of living. We can care for the environment, and so on, you know. Mm. So, this is the big picture, of course. In terms of military power, the big countries still get away. And not just Russia, but yeah. other big countries yeah. also. No? They're often tempted to impose their will when the, the smaller countries do not agree. Yeah? Yeah. And it's important for us small countries to speak up. Whenever big countries send the army across an international boundary, into the territory of a neighboring state, we must protest. 
And I'm happy to tell your audience that I was at the UN in 1978, 79, and 83. In 1978, Vietnam invaded Cambodia. 1979, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. And in 1983, the United States invaded Grenada. And Singaporeans should be very proud that on all three occasions, we condemned the invading country, including America. Because for small countries, the principles of the UN Charter, protecting the independent sovereignty and territorial integrity of all states is critical to our own survival, you know? So the war in Ukraine is not a European war. Right. It is a global war. Right. And we must not allow Russia to get away with it because it sets a very bad precedent. Right. So, I mean, I completely agree. And I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to hear that as well. And I think one of the criticisms by some, a very small segment of Singaporeans, but who seem to be pro-Russia for different reasons, right? They say, oh, you only condemn it because it's Russia, because it's... But for America, we did it as well. In yes, of course, yeah. 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 <clears throat> and, uh, but beyond this condemnation, right, it seems like Russia is still getting along fine. So yeah, beyond this, what can we do? You see, sanctions don't work if there are leakages. Right. Sanctions only work if there are no leakages. In the case of Russia, there are so many leakages, you know? Countries like China, India, many other countries are buying Russian oil right. and gas at a discount. Right. And they're happy to do that, you know? Right. So they are not joining the American, the European, and imposing sanctions on Russia. Therefore, Russia continues to be uh, economically very robust. In fact, they're making a huge yeah. you know, revenue because high price of oil and gas. Right. So, that's the truth. The bottom line is, most of the time, sanctions don't work because there are leakages. There are very rare occasions like the sanction against South Africa during apartheid. It worked because there were a few leakages, you know. So in the case of the sanctions against Russia, it does not work because there are too many leakages. So uh, there needs to be a buy-in from everybody or almost Absolutely. everybody then it can work. All right. Okay. So, Prof, uh, you, you talk about the Forum of Small States. I mean, that was the theme of, of the book, right? Yeah. So, uh, so, I'm thinking, yes, you have this Forum of Small States, but individually, each of these countries ultimately belongs to another regional organization or it has its own interests. Yeah, sure. So, is this Forum of Small States, is it a feel-good organization or is it something that, that's really substantive at the United Nations? Oh, it's not just a few good organizations. Uh, at the book launch yesterday, the ambassador of Ireland to Singapore, Sarah McGrath, spoke. And she said that when Ireland uh, was seeking election to the UN Security Council as a non-permanent member, Ireland had many competitors, you know? But Ireland succeeded. And I think one of the secrets of Ireland's success is that it had the support of many members of force. Right. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it's not the only right. factor. Right, right, right. Because Ireland is liked by countries, right. you know? It's a good country. It championed many good causes, including developing countries. I'll give you another example. Two years ago, a Singapore candidate were, was running for the very important post, Director General of the World Intellectual Property Organization. There were many competing candidates. But at the end, there were only two. 
one from Singapore and the other one from a big Asian country. You know who? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And the Singapore candidate won. Right. You know? Because of the support from... Partly, partly. Because actually we have a superior candidate. Right. And although we are a small country, we have many friends in the world. You know, surprisingly, the New York Times and Financial Times don't understand it. So when the Singapore candidate won, both the New York Times and Financial Times said in their report that Singapore won because of the Americans. You know, in their mindset. Right. In their mindset, this, how can a small country right. defeat a big country, right? right? right, right. They don't realize that international relations are more complex than that. Right. You know? And in a UN context, every country, big or small, has only one vote. Right. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. I think, I think it gives uh, a lot of hope for people because people may not really understand the nuances of uh, the United Nations and international relations yeah. beyond, you know, big powers, which is a truism, right? Big powers get their way, but of course there are other ways to, to move the needle. And I, I wanted to talk a little bit about regional organizations, which is not the main uh, focus the of your book. Yes, yeah. not the theme, but I guess the, the concept is the same because small states cannot basically need alliances and need friends to survive, right? And uh, Singapore is very, uh, very big on uh, ASEAN. Yeah. Uh, the Singapore government is very big on yeah. ASEAN. I think the Singapore government always, I mean, you are also a huge champion of yes, ASEAN. I am. Um, but it seems the Singapore population is not <laughs> as so uh, uh, on ASEAN, or they are not into ASEAN as much as the government is. So yeah, why this disconnect? You think? Oh, is do you think this there is disconnect, and why why is it? there is a disconnect? So let me just briefly explain sure. to our listeners why ASEAN is important to Singapore. ASEAN has many critics and not enough lovers. <laughs> I'm a loving critic. And I want to say in defense of ASEAN that ASEAN has brought peace to Southeast Asia. That's, that is so important. Without peace, economic endeavor is not possible. ASEAN has maintained the peace in Southeast Asia, number one. Number two, ASEAN has managed over the, time, over, over the year to bring the 10 economies together into a single economy. That is a tremendous achievement. Third, ASEAN has given each of the member countries a voice. If we were not united, we would not be of interest to the world. But because we are united, the leaders of the world come every year to meet us. You know, ASEAN is unique. You know, it's the only regional organization in the so-called third world that is able to attract the attendant year after year of the representatives of the most important countries in the world. It's a tremendous achievement. So, Singapore is destined to live forevermore in Southeast Asia. We belong to this region. Our future is intertwined with the region. Why do Singaporeans not share this view? I think most of them do not know how important the region is to Singapore. Yeah. So one of my jobs is to encourage our young people to understand how important the region is to our future, security and prosperity. I'm also trying to encourage our young people to spend more time on vacation, 
in the region rather than always go to Japan, South Korea, <laughs> Europe and America, you know? And third, to overcome a certain mindset problem we have, which is that we do not respect our neighbors, we right. tend to look down on them, right. because they're poorer than we are, that's yeah. advantage. It's wrong, this is a very bad attitude. And I've been encouraging the student at UN to go for internship in the ASEAN country, to, to go on exchange as an ex-student, so that they understand Indonesia, they understand Vietnam, they understand Philippines, understand Thailand, because those countries are critical to our own future. Right. So and another thing yeah, which, I, which I'm not happy about, you know, <laughs> and I want to say this to the, my friends in the Ministry of Education. <laughs> in, in secondary school, we encourage our, our bright students to learn uh, third languages such as French, German, Japanese. My question to them is, why are we not encouraging our students to learn Bahasa Indonesia? Right. You know, Thai, Vietnamese. Right. We should, we should put them on the same priority as Japanese, French, and German. Right. I think you've mentioned this before as well. Especially you talk about Malay being a crucial language for yeah. for Singaporeans to learn and to yeah. reconnect with our region. I mean, it makes. Uh, economic and political and cultural sense as well, right? So, so thank you for that. Um, so, Singaporeans, uh, I absolutely agree. So, we have this this mindset problem, right? But where where did it come from, and how do we overcome that? Do you think this this idea that we always first of all, I think many of us do not appreciate what you said, the fact that ASEAN is able to attract all of this. I think many Singaporeans think that by ourselves we will will be as important as. <laughs> We mustn't overestimate <laughs> our own importance. Right. I mean, Singapore is still a very small country. Uh, we're not without a voice, but it's not a very loud voice. But when we are together at 10, um, our voice gets amplified, you know? Our relevance to the world it is enhanced. So, regional organizations are important to all small countries. Yeah. And yesterday at the launch, the, the Irish ambassador said that, that the European Union has been so important right. to island journey from poverty to prosperity. Right, okay. So, uh, just so just, uh, I, I believe there's a question, yeah? Yeah, uh, we have a few questions on, yeah, please. on the live. So, maybe I'll start with the first one. So, the first question from Saidan says that, how do you reconcile ASEAN's important role with our push for many bi bilateral free, free trade agreements? Yeah, but, but one of the first free trade agreement that negotiated, and this is a Singapore idea, no? it's Go Chok Tong's idea, was the ASEAN free trade agreement. Right. So we, we never forget ASEAN. ASEAN free trade agreement, and then we supported the, the, agreement, the policy for ASEAN to negotiate bilateral agreements or economic partnership agreement with all the major economies in the world. So ASEAN has FTA with, uh, with China, with Japan, with uh, South Korea, with Australia, New Zealand, uh, it only lacks, ASEAN doesn't yet have an FTA with the United States or with the EU. And we should try to get it done, you know. So we, we, ne we never neglect ASEAN. But, but it doesn't mean that we focus exclusively on ASEAN, right? So, so on that, right, uh, 
Second question. Oh, yeah. Hold on. <laughs> I, just, I had a follow-up on that. So, do you think Singapore is in love with ASEAN more than ASEAN is in love with Singapore? Like, because why would Indonesia, for instance, have the same amount? They are big enough to stand on their own. Why would they? But have the even thing? even for the biggest country in uh, ASEAN, uh, ASEAN serves Indonesia national interest. If it were not so, President Jokowi would not be so ardent in his uh, advocacy of ASEAN. Indonesia, of course, is a big country, right, and right. we know Indonesia is the chairman of G20. Right. Yeah? which is a grouping of big countries. Right. But Indonesia chairman ASEAN next year. You know? So these are two very important years for Indonesia. And it is Singapore's policy to help Indonesia succeed as chairman of G20 and succeed next year as chairman of ASEAN. Okay. Next. Okay. The, the next question is from Irfan. Do you see deeper integration in ASEAN, like how the EU has integrated? So common currency or oh, no. free borders, <laughs> open borders? I think, <laughs> so I, I chaired the group that drafted the ASEAN Charter in 2007. And when we were doing it, we asked ourselves, is the European Union a model for us? And our conclusion is that the European Union is not a model, but an inspiration. We are inspired by the European, but the European integration model is, is too advanced, you know. It cannot be replicated by us. Some aspect, yes, we want to have a single uh, market and an and investment platform that we want to do. Uh, but open borders, I don't think ASEAN will agree. I don't think ASEAN will agree to have uh, a common currency. It's just not possible, you know. The, you see, one fundamental difference between Europe and ASEAN is that in the case of the European Union, the member state, the 27 member states have agreed to sacrifice their individual sovereignty and pull their sovereignty, you know. In the case of ASEAN, I don't think we are ready to do that. Yeah. The, the individual countries feel very strongly about their sovereignty and the idea that they may give up some of their sovereignty and pull it together is too advanced an idea. I would say it's not possible. So common currency not possible, parliament not possible, ASEAN Court of Justice not yet possible. These are too advanced. Open border not possible. But we must try gradually to uh, lower the barrier to the free flow of, uh, of people in the 10 countries. Thank you so much. And also, uh, even those ideas of sovereignty has resulted in problems lately for Europe as well. Right? So, yeah. so maybe this is the balance, the right balance for ASEAN also. Because if you go too far, there will be yeah. a no, nationalist true. backlash. Yeah, I, it's true. And I'm going to tell you a funny yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, when I was executive director of the Asia-Europe Foundation. I was invited to speak to the European Parliament in Strasbourg. So I went. When I arrived at this beautiful building, I, people were all milling around, so I asked, what is the European Parliament busy doing that particular week? They said, oh, we're having a very uh, important debate 
about what is chocolate. I couldn't believe it, no? I said, what? what? He said, yeah, yeah, you know, it's a very divisive issue because the continental European are very angry with the British who are selling a product which they call chocolate, but whose chocolate content is below what the European regard uh -huh. as minimum. You right. see? Right. So I, I told the member of the European Parliament, I said, why do you, why do you let the consumer decide? Right. You know, why must you legislate? Right. And I warn them, I say, you know, if you over right. legislate, right. there will be a pushback right. against you, you know? Because people resent Brussels. Of course. They don't want to be controlled by Brussels, you know. So I, I think that was not wise. So I learned, the yeah. lesson I learned is ASEAN must never do right. that. Yeah? Right, okay. Thank you. For, I think that was really, really insightful. Thank you so much. Uh, is there another question? Oh, yeah, there's yeah. one more question. Sure. So there's a question from Lord Arun. How do you think the Myanmar's junta's non-compliance with ASEAN's five-point consensus yeah. has specifically as affected ASEAN's geopolitical credibility? Uh, it's a good question, and uh, I think ASEAN is in a dilemma. It's not the first time that a coup has happened in an ASEAN member country, uh, but for the first time. After a coup had happened in uh, Myanmar, the ASEAN leaders had a meeting in Jakarta. And uh, they even invited General Min Ong Liang to the meeting. And it, the meeting came out with this five-point consensus. But on his return to Nipidong, General Min Ong Liang had been walking backwards, away from the five-point consensus. It's clear, I think he kept quiet in Jakarta because he felt he was cornered and outnumbered, but he didn't really believe in right. five-point and, and he'd been walking backwards. We are faced with a dilemma. In the ASEAN Charter, there's no provision to suspend or expel a member. You know? <coughs> so what do we do if uh, the military junta in Epidong ignores us and continue to proceed along their own plan. Their own plan, as you know, is to uh, change the electoral system and hold a new election next year. I think they'll put away the leader NLD, Aung San Suu Kyi, for life in prison. They will um, either forbid NLD from contesting or, or forbid only people acceptable to the regime. We have a, we have a problem. And there's no easy solution, right. you know? Right. What can we do? Yeah. We continue to, to we continue to to try diplomacy as a means of bringing about a reconciliation in Myanmar. But I think the military doesn't want reconciliation. So our special envoy, uh, the, the foreign minister of Cambodia, has been to Myanmar. But he's been unable to see Aung uh, San Suu Kyi or the imprisoned president. The UN Special Envoy, Nolin Hazen, had, to, had been to Myanmar. She was also not able to see Aung San Suu Kyi. So for now, the ASEAN approach, the UN approach, have not been successful. So, so would you agree with me that there cannot be a solution without the military? Oh. No, I mean, who wants, to, who wants to send troops 
No, no, no. Without, uh, I mean, without, without the military government. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I, no, no, but but the, yeah, yeah. But the constitution of Myanmar already guaranteed that the military will have a major say, yeah, yeah. as you know, in the right, government. Right. One third of the seats in parliament are reserved for the military. Yeah. They control four yeah. important portfolios, yeah, yeah. but that was still not enough. The, there was growing tension between NLD and the military, and the military decided that uh, it will push aside the civilian and take control of the country. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, we, we keep telling them to follow the example Indonesian. I think they are not ready. Okay. But it's not, it's not impossible, right? Because Indonesia went down that road uh, as well. Yeah. I think they are following the example of Thailand. Ah, okay. <laughs> All right. Okay, so uh, thank you for that. I mean, it's one of the most complex issues facing ASEAN, and there doesn't seem to be a... And I guess this is also the limits of ASEAN, right? Yeah. And once we accept that each country has its individual sovereignty, yeah. these things. Yeah. And, and the other problem is not the coup, but the exodus of Rohingya. Right. Who, who basically persecuted right. and pushed out of the country. I also see, I don't see an easy solution. Right, you know? exactly. I mean, they are, are most unfortunate people who are not accepted in their own homeland. Uh, it's a human tragedy about what to do. Right. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh, I, I really believe that it's one of the uh, most under-discussed uh, groups uh, persecuted groups in the world. Thank you so much. Uh, so, Prof, uh, your chapter in the book is very interesting. Uh, it's titled "Can Small States uh, Win Olympic Medals?" So that's the, that's. So I I presume it's a metaphor for smallest states succeeding in the world, right? It's not just about the Olympics, right? So no, because the assumption is that in any competition, whether right. military power, economic power, sports, the big countries will win and small countries will lose. Right. The reason I wrote that essay is that when our delegation came back empty-handed from Tokyo, some of my friends asked me, can small countries win medals at the Olympic Games? And I said, I didn't know the answer, so I decided to look into it. And I found to my surprise that the athletes from 25 small countries and territories won over one-third of the medals in Tokyo. It was really a shock to me, you know? But even more shocking, Walid, it's what happened in the Winter Olympic Games in Beijing. The outcome is really astonishing. The country that won the most medal is not one of the big countries. Like you, you think that country like Russia, very right. good winter sports, right. or the, the host country, China or Canada or, or the United States. No, the country that won the most medals at the Winter Olympic Games was Norway, a small country, a member of force. Right. You know? So it goes to show that even in a competition like sports, don't underestimate the capacity of the small country. Right. So I mean, that's, that's so why the title of my book, right. Size is Not Definitely. Right. I, I really enjoyed that, that chapter. And when I was looking through, oh, I didn't realize small countries won so many medals. Yeah. And you know, I'm a huge football fan, and yeah. Wales, Wales, smaller yeah. population than Singapore, is, yeah. making, is going to the World Cup. Iceland made it to the quarterfinals <coughs> of the. I was really so happy one, one day a few years ago when in, in one of the qualifying rounds for the World Cup, 
Iceland played against England. Remember? Right, I remember, yeah. That was I, Iceland won. I, I, I can't that believe that. Little <laughs> Iceland defeated, right, defeated England. The English yeah, team. It was in no? the Euros, yeah. And, uh, I mean, Iceland, 300,000. 300,000 people. So, so it's possible. So why hasn't it happened? <laughs> Here, I think Joseph's calling aside. Why, why hasn't it happened? I think our priorities are elsewhere, yeah. not so much in sports. And, uh, and up to now, you can't really make a good living as an athlete, you know, unlike in Europe and elsewhere, where you can actually, I mean, the yeah. kind of salaries football players get in England just shocking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and in Europe also, no? In Singapore, you can't make a good living as a sportsman. Right. So if, if, a, if a very talented athlete said, his mother, mother, I like to be a professional football player. The mother said, "You're crazy." <laughs> Fo- yes, my, son, my wife said that to my son. <laughs> Focus on your study. There's no future. At one time, people, mother would say that to the children if they want to be musicians or artists, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. in a, in a, in my in my job as chairman of NAC and chairman NHB, I wanted to change that. I wanted Singaporean to have a higher respect for artists, you know? And I wanted it to make it possible for talented artists to make a good living in Singapore. We should try to do that for sports. You think it's possible to, to move that way? Yes, it's possible. I thought having the sports schools help. And I think there's growing appreciation by everybody in Singapore that, <coughs> that competitive sports is important not just for the athlete but for the country absolutely you know it, it, it brings people together absolutely. you know absolutely. yeah i mean when you you see i mean i as an older person i remember the good old days when we were competing in the malayan cup yeah, you know? yeah, yeah 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 so the, on, on the few occasions we won the whole country erupted in joy and celebration yeah yeah. yeah yeah and i think even not that long ago i remember in the 1990s the malaysia cup but yeah that the feeling was just different. Everybody was talking yeah. and discussing football. Yeah. Like people. But I also feel that part of it is infrastructure. I feel that now nobody plays football at the void. It used to be a... Everybody played and it was good for multiracialism. But now nobody plays. To play football, you need to send your children to academy. It's, it's, a, it's yeah. become a, a class thing already when it was the equalizer last time. So I guess that is part of the mindset of everybody as well. Yeah. The government, the people, we, we do not support the infrastructure for sports. Yeah. Uh, partly because we've gone up so much economically that our expectations are different. When I was growing up, I played badminton almost every day, outdoors, you know, outdoors. Right, right. Because there were so few indoors. <laughs> but in spite of the wind, and the, which make it difficult, we, we still played every day, you know. And, and in those days, 50, 60, we produced world champions, you know. Wong Peng Soon, Wong right. Lin, and so on, you know. So, things are different. Right. And young people now have so many other diversions, huh? Uh, and I see most young people are spending more and more of their time on the yeah. digital gadgets. That's, that's another, that's a huge problem. <laughs> I find it hard to take my three grandchildren away from the mobile phone and iPad, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a huge problem, yeah. Uh, it, it's not good for our yeah. development, right? but I think it's people do not play sports as much partly because of 
technology. Other, yeah. other options. Yeah, other options. Yeah. So you ended that chapter by saying, and uh, this was, you wrote actually this was a Straits Times uh, yes, article, piece, right? Yeah. In 2021, and you ended with the line that Singaporeans need to support our athletes in good times and in bad times. Yeah. Do you think we are doing that now? Uh, I'm encouraged by the positive response of the public to Joe's schooling. I mean, most people say, okay, he made a mistake, but you mustn't condemn him yeah. for, for the rest of his life, you know. Give him a chance. You know? We yeah. should continue to support him. I think that's good, and I approve of that. I think that the lesson I learned from, from Europe uh, is that we must support our team. We must support our athletes in good times and in bad times. This was brought home to me when I was a student in Cambridge. And I, some of the teachers would take me to see their hometown team play in soccer tournaments, you know. Some of the teams have never won for decades, you know, not just, but he, they continue to be loyal to the team, you know. Yeah. So they say, no, no, one day our team will be the champion, you see. And we will continue to support them year after year, you know. Until, for example, Leicester. Yeah, you know, yeah, Leicester yeah. became yeah, yeah. champion, right? right, right, right. So we, we need that same kind of loyalty and long-term commitment to our athletes and our teams. Yeah, so I, I generally agree also the, the support by the public. I think especially younger people don't think it's that big of a deal to yeah. begin with. So, uh, but do you think the government's response has been, has been okay as well? Yes, I it, think so. I think yeah. Mr. Shamugam in particular uh, spoke very clearly and very early to say that okay he made a mistake you know but we must continue to support him I think that's the right thing to do. Right. Yeah. so hopefully hopefully I think he will continue to yeah. represent Singapore later on uh, hopefully this episode can be put be behind everyone right uh, so is there any if I were to ask you right uh, your book right what what is one thing you want people to take away other than Size is not destiny. <laughs> what is it that you want people to take away from this? Uh, that it's very important for our small country to support multilateralism. It's very important for us to support the UN and the cardinal principles in the UN Charter. So, as I said, in '78, I condemn. The Vietnamese invasion of Cambodia in 79, a condemned the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. 83, a condemned the US invasion of Grenada. For the same reason, I have condemned the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think that it would be a mistake for Singaporeans to think, well, this is a European war. Why should we bother? You know, it's not a European war, it is a war of global significance. And some Singaporeans say, well, it's a proxy war. No? It's a war between Russia and the West, or it's a proxy war between democracy and autocracy. My response is that Ukraine is nobody's proxy. Right. Ukraine is not fighting for the West or fighting for democracy. It's fighting for the right to exist, so, yeah. you know, as a sovereign and independent state. That's why I've been quite outspoken in defending Ukraine, right. you know, and, and rejecting the views of many people are trying to mislead Singapore, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Why, why, do, why do some people... I mean, I think majority of people agree with the government stance of this, myself included. But there's this small group of Singaporeans who are very pro-Russia for some reason. What, what's your sense of... Is it an anti-Western thing or is it a pro-China thing? It's it, it, it partly anti-American. 
and partly because they are they are very influenced by the Chinese view. Not so much Russia, Chinese. Right, exactly. As you know, China is supporting right, right, the right. Russian narrative. So they are not supporting Russia, actually. Right? They, they are supporting China. And that was... PM's speech in Mandarin was pretty... Exactly. Pretty harsh, With, I thought. No, right? no, not harsh. <laughs> no. Without, <laughs> mentioning, without <laughs> mentioning it. Yeah, yeah, without yeah. mentioning it. Yeah. But PM's message is very important. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Very, yeah. absolutely critical. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was based on the reaction, partly to, to the Russian-Ukrainian war yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, Prof, Go, this is a very young audience, right? I think you've given some uh, nuggets of wisdom already. So, is there any other yeah. nugget of wisdom you want to give? So, to I want to young? say to the young people of Singapore that it's very important for us to know our neighbours. Very important for us to learn their languages. It's very important for us to know their, their culture. And I would encourage young people to learn the regional language. Instead of learning Japanese, German or French, why don't you learn Bahasa Indonesian? Why don't you intern in one of the ASEAN countries with some of the great ASEAN companies, you know? Because our future is in this region. While we are open to the world and we must continue to be connected to Europe and to America, our future is in Southeast Asia. So please join me in loving ASEAN. <laughs> Thank you, sir. What can MOE do to inculcate that love? Because you said you have a message for MOE. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that they will also put ASEAN languages on the list together with Japanese, French and German so that our capable students who want to take a third language right. can learn Bahasa Indonesia, can learn Vietnamese, you know, can so, learn... So former Foreign Minister George Yeo said he is for the ASEAN anthem being sung in schools. Uh, so are you, are you, would you go as far as that or how would, because honestly most Singaporeans really do not know about ASEAN and do not care about ASEAN that much. The professionals do. Yes, correct. The professionals, the professionals and yeah. I guess the government. Yeah, yeah, yeah. professionals yeah. do. So the challenge is to reach out right. to the right. ordinary citizen and we must begin with it, begin in the school. So when I was rector of the Tumpusu College, at NUS, my message to my students was learn an ASEAN language. Take your next holiday in an ASEAN country. And when you're looking for an internship, don't just look west, but also look south. Right. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Anchi, next holiday, please go to Indonesia. Sure. Okay. Yeah, okay, there are great places to go to, you know? Yeah, yeah. Go to Bali, go to Jogja, go to Siam Reap. Go to Pagan, yeah. go to so many wonderful, go to Luang Prabang, which is a gem of the city. It is, it is. No, yeah. Thank you so much. I just wanted to register my thanks for for today, but also everything that you've Thank done you. for, you. for Singapore. And I think someone I know described you as the conscience of Singapore. <laughs> I think I think that's that's an app description. So it Professor, was very kind of ESM go chop down. <laughs> yes, <laughs> too kind. It's, so I think it is it is uh, uh, it is an app description. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Based on, no, thank you so, so I've much. So I've enjoyed it. Yes, I've enjoyed it. And she, can you come in? I just want them to see that sure. you were the one. Yeah. So she's she's the come, one who come, was come asking the question. Yeah. And okay. Wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna take a picture. Okay, sure. We'll end. So thank you so much, everybody. Uh, and I'll upload this online.